Mind Vibe, a mental health podcast for everyone. Since our first episode in 2016, we have been sharing stories of recovery, engaging with experts, and tackling the stigma associated with mental illness. The Mind Vibe podcast is produced by Ontario Shores Centre for Mental Health Sciences and is available on YouTube, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts. Welcome to the Mind Vine Podcast. I'm your host, Daryl Mathers, and today we're talking caregivers in mental health with uh, actually four guests, but we're going to do two different segments today, and we're starting with our first segment. We have Dr. Mary Chu, who's a research coordinator here at Ontario Shores. Welcome. Thank you. And Nancy Burns, who's a social worker on our geriatric uh, transitional unit. So thank you both uh, for being here. When you use the word caregiver, um, it can mean a lot of different things for a lot of different populations. On Ontario Shores, and in your experience, what does the term caregiver, uh, how is it defined? Maybe we'll start with you, Mary. Sure. Um, I think a caregiver, there are so many different terms out there, right? Like care partners, carers, caregivers. And, but, you know, like a, um, I'm going to quote uh, Rosalind Carter, um, the wife of uh, Jimmy Carter, uh, President Jimmy Carter. And, you know, there are only four types of people in this world. And um, there are people who uh, are currently in the role as a caregiver, who have been as a, as a caregiver and will be um, a caregiver. And then there are people who would need a caregiver. Um, so we are bound to be, you know, like um, uh, be engaged in this uh, realm of, you know, caregiving um, at some point in our um, life journey. Um, and in my in my work uh, with um, caregivers uh, the past decade, I feel like, um, you know, caregivers come in all shapes and forms and, you know, different walks of life. And but we share, you know, like a, a, a very kind of like a common um, theme is is like sometimes we are just, you know, happen to be a caregiver and we may or may not have the um, skills to, to kind of, you know, face the day-to-day um, issues that come up. Um, so we'll talk a little bit about that uh, later, I think. From your perspective, Nancy, um, being on a unit and seeing our patients, uh, you know, on a day-to-day basis, what are the roles, like maybe what are some of the tangible things caregivers are doing in the kind of the recovery journey of our patients here on your particular unit? Mm -hmm. So on GTU, the caregivers, as Mary said, come from all walks of life. Um, They can be wives, they can be children, they can be extended relatives. Um, They're coming into us with a lot of questions, often about diagnosis, about what do they need to be doing. Um, They're usually extraordinarily stressed. Uh, They need information. Um, They need support themselves, which I think is the one thing that caregivers don't often take into account. So so much of the focus goes on the patient and, and the recovery journey of the patient that they kind of get lost in the background somewhere. So a lot of our caregivers, I feel, um, need to be given the permission to take care of themselves as well, um, besides what they're doing for for the patient. The the term caregiver may not be new, but it's certainly been more prevalent uh, late, like I'd say in the mainstream uh, culture, this idea that uh, 
caregiver as a role, you know, what it requires, and you, I think you mentioned like looking after yourself. What it, like the the ten years that you've been in this field, like what has the evolution of the caregiver role, like what has that been like? Um, it, you know, like just like uh, what Nancy was saying, just echoing how you know, like uh, when I engage a caregiver like um, ten years ago. Um, they would come to you with um, uh, these unexplainable kind of and and they can't they they feel shame um, in terms of you know like uh, that they can they feel helpless and they don't know how to articulate that um, you know that they actually need support. Um, now um, we have you know like uh, evolved I guess. Um, in uh, surfaces, in uh, research, and you know, public awareness as well, like you said. Um, and so, um, caregivers are more aware of, you know, that they have those uh, needs. Um, and you know, it's it all comes from the, you know, fact that you have to put on the oxygen mask yourself first before you can actually put the oxygen mask uh, on the uh, on the person who need help, right? So um, they are more aware of, you know, that, you know, that. They, they would need to have the support um, and they would ask for it um, now. And, um, and obviously, you know, like uh, as healthcare professionals and as researchers, we all um, act as an advocate uh, for this group of uh, people as well and making sure that they are matched um, with the, um, uh, you know, proper uh, care and, and support and, uh, and trying to advocate for them. A caregiver in the, you know, in the geriatric space, uh, you know, some might wonder, you know, you're not necessarily dealing all with like uh, older adults, but um, in a lot of cases you are, I mean, people who are nearing the end of end of life. Um, so some might question like, well, what kind of difference can a caregiver make to somebody who's uh, elderly that's uh, maybe unwell? But I know that we do see a difference at Ontario Shores in terms of the when a caregiver is involved uh, with a patient. And from your experience being on the unit, like, can you describe maybe the difference that an engaged, educated caregiver, uh, the impact they can have on their loved one? Absolutely. Um, I think the more information they have on, on understanding the illness really helps them to respond better to, to their patient or to the, to the patient or their family member. Um, I think what Mary was saying, I think there's more recognition. Like your, your question was about how has it evolved? I think there's more recognition that um, caregivers are impacted and how they are impacted definitely um, aids or can hinder the recovery journey of a patient. So I think as caregivers are recognized as an intrinsic part of this and learning about the illness and learning how to respond and even recognizing the, the challenges that they faced has really um, helps with the recovery journey, helps them to, to move along and, and have a better recovery. I mean, in dementia, you're not necessarily recovering but you can create less distress, less upset, um, less distress for everybody. There is, there is lots of uh, chatter about uh, dementia and related illnesses in terms of the future and what it means for our population and if uh, numbers continue to, to rise. Um, from a research perspective, like what's going on in the world of dementia? Like maybe, more broadly, and then in particular here at Ontario Shores? 
We talk about the um, kind of uh, the increasing numbers in people who are um, aging and, you know, like uh, who um, uh, inevitably, you know, like uh, some of us are going to, you know, um, need uh, caregiving um, and be it, you know, like, uh, you know, support if we have uh, dementia or related um, uh, uh, illness. Um, but I think the the most important thing for um, dementia research is uh, is knowing um, that behind the disease or behind the condition, um, there is an individual, um, there is a person um, that is uh, still remain and very capable of um, interacting and um, of um, kind of you know contributing uh, to relationship and connection, and so I think um, that is actually something that we wanted to look at is, you know, how can caregivers um, or family members, you know, uh, of, of someone who is living with dementia, um, try to uh, foster and build a meaningful um, engagement with, uh, with the person living with dementia and uh, trying to understand, you know, yes, there are, you know, certain things that are lost or, you know, um, the, there is a cogn- uh, cognitive, um, you know, impairment, um, but there is still, you know, that um, person that remains, and um, it, it helps to kind of understand that and understand and 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 for the caregiver to understand how best to um, leverage uh, what is uh, what is that person that remains. You know, as you're you know talking about you know the person behind the illness, I just started to think about you know mental health in general, and we talk about stigma in a lot of ways. And I don't know if there's uh, another illness that's been depicted uh, in a more stigmatizing manner than dementia, you know, when you think about how it's perceived there in, in movies, television, even um, what we know about it in, in the media. Nancy, like from what you see on the, the unit, like the, when people come in as caregivers, or like, is there a huge education piece that's required just for them understanding the illness? Like, forget about the supports and all the other things we talked about, but uh, maybe what they're, uh, is what they're experiencing uh, aligning with what they were expecting coming in? Um, not necessarily. I think what I find is that people are coming in sicker because patients are staying at home longer, um, because the system itself can't accommodate everybody the way we should. Um, so I, I do feel there's a huge educational component. A lot of our families don't really have a clear understanding of what's happening. So we have to take a lot of time to sort of look at, at timelines and when things happened. And they get very focused on um, what's next. And so I think the education really helps them to sort of prepare, which I think is very important, um, depending on where the patient is at that point in time. So. I, I think it, the the educational piece and and providing the support for that is is crucial when they come to us. One of the things, you know, that we're a couple of things that we do offer. The, I think I believe it's a teach and carers program. Can you tell us uh, a little bit about you know what that is and what that you know how that kind of advances the caregiver experience at Ontario Shores? Sure. Do you want me? So, well, the teach program is really about education on the different 
stages, um, how to respond to different stages, what the illness is, what to expect. The CARES program is quite different than that. It, it goes through scenarios to help people practice, which I think is quite unique. Um, so the, the family members are bringing in specific situations and they're able to go through those situations um, indivi individually um, and come up with a better solution on how to respond. So the group process itself is great because you learn from each other, which we know um, for many, many years that the group process is, is the best way to do things rather than doing them individually. Mm -hmm. So they're very distinct groups, but um, they both serve a really excellent purpose. Just to add to that, I guess the um, uh, we we often talk about you know like in in healthcare a stepped care model, like this is um, you know maybe you know part of a stepped care model for our dementia caregivers, um, where they um, they would you know like uh, be exposed to the teach program first, which is um, a, a more of a psychoeducation program um, where they learn about the basics, you know, like uh, like Nancy was saying, you know, like um, uh, what are the stages of, uh, of dementia? What is it? And um, navigating, you know, like uh, the, the healthcare system, um, how to communicate uh, with, the, with the person uh, living with dementia. And then, you know, they can, um, if appropriate, and, you know, uh, and if there is uh, capacity um, in, in their time, in their schedule, um, caregivers can be invited into uh, the CARES program, um, which is uh, a more um, of a psychotherapeutic um, uh, program uh, where, you know, they, they will have the chance to practice um, and also, uh, uh, you know, uh, go through some problem-solving um, uh, scenarios um, with, their, with their group members and um, being led by a clinicians as well. As we look at like into the future, even if it's uh, the near future, um, you know, research and technology, like whether it's stuff going on here or just globally, uh, is the relationship between the two is that reason for excitement in terms of the care of dementia and you know what we can possibly do with with technology. For sure, and um, I, um, I'm going to leave that uh, part uh, with uh, Ron Bolano, uh, who will be uh, talking about uh, that uh, because he's, uh, he's an advocate uh, in this uh, realm of um, innovations and uh, technology. Um, but I can tell you, you know, like uh, the exciting part is not only the technology, it's inviting um, caregivers and actually um, people living with dementia to test out these products and code different develop um, these uh, innovations as we go along. And so like um, including the voice uh, of the patients and also the uh, caregiver um, and making sure that this is, you know, whatever we are developing um, with um, engineers and with innovators, this is actually something that would benefit them. Um, and, and so that's, that's what is exciting um, because, you know, a lot of times in the past, research is, is kind of um, uh, done in um, in a in a you know in a, in a vacuum, if you would. Um, but now um, there's a lot of collaboration and inviting um, different um, uh, people with lived experience to participate in the in the process and, and making sure that it's something that they want and will find helpful in the end. You just mentioned the like, collaboration piece, and I think. Um 
I don't know if Nancy, you see that when people come in uh, to the unit with their loved ones. Um, just how collaborative is that process? Like from the time that you're, you're, you know, the person that you love is admitted to the unit and and you come on as a caregiver. Like, what's that collaboration process like? Um, I think it's it's valued and it's it's more um, often than not. I would have to say, with the team, definitely we involve family members or whoever the identified caregiver is from the onset. Uh, we have an excellent care pathway for that. And we involve the family right from the get-go. And I think, I think that's really important. I think it's key for the great recovery of the patient, but also for the caregiver. Because I think that's the, the recognition now that it's kind of a two-pronged approach. Well, thank you very both very much for for being here uh, to cover this topic and, and I really appreciate your time. Thank you. We're continuing the conversation about caregivers and mental health with uh, two additional guests. I'm pleased to welcome uh, Ron Bellino, a family caregiver. Welcome, Ron. Thank you. And Elaine Miller, who's a, uh, let me get this right, patient and family relations leader, also uh, heavily involved in our Family Resource Center. Thank you, Elaine, for being here. Thank you. Um, we're going to start with you, Ron. Um, your experience um, as a caregiver, can you kind of a, give us a sense of uh, what your journey's been like? Yeah, sure there, Daryl. So I, uh, an only child, uh, that's what my parents always remind me of, you're the only child, uh, to uh, mom and dad uh, from a Filipino background. Uh, my dad, uh, he, he got Alzheimer's. He was diagnosed with Alzheimer's, uh, a dementia, back in 2007, and for 10 plus years, we cared for him. Uh, in his home back in Scarborough. Uh, so that is my mom. She lived with him. Uh, there was the cat Lucky, which is always part of the story, uh, part of the caregiving team. I always talk about the caregiving team. And uh, I lived about 20 minutes away. So that was a challenging journey, dealing with dementia. Didn't know about anything about dementia. And I had to kind of get support from researchers, uh, different societies, and uh, now that's simply my story in a nutshell. Uh, but over the years, I kind of have become quite an advocate in other spaces such as technology and innovation, uh, a lot of work with policy. Um, I do get excited with trainees, with uh, those up and coming leaders that are looking to do some work in this space. So I'll leave it at that for now, but I know I'm gonna go into more detail as we uh, chat a little bit more here. Just before oh, yeah. we, sure. just to add or continue on that, um, your role as a caregiver, like when that is like, you know, I'm guessing thrust upon you, right? Mm -hmm. Like all of a sudden, you know, you're dealing with this diagnosis and an uncertain future. Um, can you describe maybe the toll that it, it takes on you as a person when you're, you know, you're accepting that news and then kind of determining your new reality? Yeah, that's a... Uh... Every time someone gets a diagnosis or some news, uh, it's, I've realized at this point, I've had the opportunity to speak to thousands of caregivers, uh, not just here in Canada, but internationally. And you realize how people have different values, how they've grown up and how they receive things. So there's a cultural play for me. Uh, again, uh, uh, Asian values, uh, it was a little different. My mom and dad didn't really know what dementia was, and we didn't actually put a lot of priority on it. Uh, for me, it was just, okay, Dad, how do you want to live your life, you know, with this diagnosis? Okay, so it actually didn't scare us at the beginning. It was later, like five years later, when we came with the challenges is when I started getting scared and worried. Okay, but at the beginning, it was just one of those where, 
Okay, thanks, Doc, for the uh, information um, and sharing with us this. Uh, but for my dad, he just wants to continue living his life, right? Uh, and that was how we approached it. Just let's keep moving forward. Whatever challenges come, we'll, we'll take that on. Uh, but there is, uh, and I was, I think, chatted about a little bit earlier about stigma. Okay, so a lot of people already have a stigma when they hear some specific words or diagnosis. And I know, especially with uh, a diagnosis of dementia uh, or Alzheimer's, let's say, uh, there's a lot of families I've come across that right away, they're just scared and they stop everything. Or they just change their whole life like it's over. And that's where I kind of had to have to kind of plant the seeds or other, I know great individuals and organizations are trying to change that narrative that, hey, just because you have dementia doesn't mean life is over, okay? You can move forward, you can continue with all the challenges that are gonna come. Um, but some do get scared and they just uh, panic right away. Uh, and I think we need to change that. But again, for myself, specifically, it was one where we just said, okay, thanks for that diagnosis and uh, let's figure this out and uh, we'll take it on. You think about your experience, Elaine, when you have caregivers and family members coming you know, to Ontario Shores and um, when they're dealing with a situation maybe similar to Ron and his family, what are some of the things that they're bringing to the table in terms of like emotions they're dealing with or uh, needs or what, like how are you yeah. maybe supporting them in that moment? Yeah, and first of all, I really, I really can empathize with your situation. My mom also had Alzheimer's as well and we care for her for about seven years. But yeah, I mean, we get um, family caregivers who come with, they're afraid um, they are feeling guilty because they, they don't know how much they can do. Um, they want to do, but they can't always do as much as they want, so they feel the guilt. Um, there's anger sometimes of, you know, why us? You know, why our family? Um, there's just a whole array of emotions. And some of the, some of the um, educational um, programming that we offer helps them to kind of... Um, you know, unpack some of those emotions um, to realize that, um, you know, it's, it's normal to feel this way. Um, and it's like going through the, the stages of, of um, uh, you know, the, the, the stages of loss, basically, um, you know, the various stages they're going to go through, whether it's dementia or whether it's some other mental health, uh, mental illness that their loved one is, uh, has been diagnosed with. They go through that, you know, the stages of anger and denial and and all of those things. So um, we offer um, uh, a lot of um, courses to help with their own self-care so that they take care of themselves. As your other guest mentioned, um, they need to be able to play their role optimally. So we try and teach them or help to coach them around communication so that um, they can reach out for help, uh, how to advocate for themselves. So um, sort of, again, giving them permission to, to ask for help and to ask for information, because it's a huge learning journey, isn't it? Mm -hmm. I mean, there's, there's just so much that you don't know when you're starting out as a caregiver. Um, and at some point, it makes you a bigger person because you kind of learn what's important and you learn to live more in the moment rather than extrapolating, oh gosh, what's waiting for me down the road when, when the disease gets really bad. Um, so, and you're gonna have to change your approach as the, as the stages, as the person changes too. So, so, um, so just, you know, helping them along and, and giving them confidence um, and also commending them for 
the role that they play, because I think that a lot of the families we see just don't feel like um, what they're doing is, is, is recognized and important. Um, I think that's changed over time, that we recognize how important it is to the recovery of the individual, but also that the family is going through a recovery journey of its own. Um, so um, just giving them that confidence and knowing that they're not alone. That's a huge thing. Families feel totally out there alone. And sometimes they can't talk to other family who aren't doing what they're doing or other friends that they have who aren't, you know, supporting somebody with a mental illness. Um, and so just knowing that there's other people out there who, who can, you know, they can, they can um, imagine their, what they're going through because they, they're going through it as well. So just that, that, that piece is very important. If I can add there, Derek. Mm. So, so Elaine, you said a, like a dozen great key points there, but I want to just highlight maybe two or three. One is uh, first and foremost, uh, you can't always just rely on a family or friend, okay? Doesn't mean that just because uh, they are related to you or they're close that they'll know what to do and that they play a specific role. So many, you know, primary caregivers, so the ones that are the lead, uh, assume that just because you have a sibling or uh, an uncle or an aunt, that they're going to fill this role. So sometimes you're going to find other caregivers, you know, in areas that you won't expect. So for me, that was the neighbors. That was the coffee shop. Okay, that would be uh, the, the random Canada Post person that walks in every day that takes care of my mom for like at least three minutes to chat with her. So that's one key piece. And the other piece you, you did mention was the learning piece, okay? That uh, if you're going to be a caregiver specifically around dementia, okay, if you're not open to learning, you're gonna have a hard battle during that journey. If you can be willing to receive and uh, accept it, okay, this is a time where I gotta learn a lot and be, uh, open to every comment and idea, uh, you're, you're going to have a better path to that there. So I think that was really important Absolutely. that you said that there. Sometimes that's a yeah. battle. It takes like five to yeah. ten years just to realize, okay, you're always fighting, you know, all these new things, but if you were open mm -hmm. to it, uh, you would be much further. So that is quite important. Yeah. And I think also and that also re reminds me of the idea of acceptance because so often when we are faced with a challenge and, and it's stressful, we kind of resist the urge to adapt to it, you know, we're, we're and so just teaching people to, um, you are going to have to accept this, but um, this can be a really life-changing experience, taking care of somebody. Um, it, it can be really rich. Um, you know, having those moments with your, your, um, your family member where you're really enjoying being with them at that moment, that there's just some good quality of life there for them. Um, that may change tomorrow, but right now it's we're 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 getting we're having a good moment together. Um, so teaching people to really take joy in those moments, um, you know, sometimes we just need to be reminded that you know we don't we don't always come with that approach. So yeah. that's be a really overwhelming experience, especially at first. But maybe when listening to you you know, just talk about your experience. I mean, it sounds like it can be overwhelming throughout at times. When you're, like in your particular experience, you know, obviously you want what's best for, you know, for your dad, right? You're trying to make those, um, make the whatever time you have, you know, as best you can. And you're going through it and you're learning and, and you're on this path. And at what point do you become 
an advocate, like when it, when it extends, at what point does it extend beyond your dad? Because now you're talking about, you know, you, you've hinted at like, you know, systematic changes and technology and other things. So what is it about this journey that has made you an advocate beyond just caring for your, for your father? So that is a growth piece. No one becomes an advocate on the first day, in my opinion. They mm -hmm. might, okay, they might be advocating, but uh, an advocate to me is someone who's not a one-time, one-day, one-moment kind of uh, situation. An advocate is someone that actually keeps pushing something forward over time. Now, I do want to go back on one word you did say, and I have to bring this up. It's a key word that many people don't realize. You said uh, doing something what's best, okay, versus I challenge people on, on some words. Sometimes many people have said, I don't know if I did this right, okay, and I said, if you didn't do it right, you're kind of judging yourself where it might be wrong. And that's where guilt comes in, self-judgment. And I've said, you know what? I've realized the beauty of caregiving, it, it's not about perfectionism, about being right. It's doing what's best. And I'm still going to screw up and fail. Okay? That's part of it, that there's going to be failure. Can we reduce those failures and increase those successes is what my approach was. Uh, and I think that's what everyone's approach is. But along the way, you kind of look at where a lot of the failures are happening. And I'm not afraid to talk about that we're failing in many places. And it's where those failures are happening is where you can advocate and do some of that work. So, uh, for example, uh, it came back to technology. Let's pick technology, a space that I'm in. And I'll pick one challenge. My dad used to go missing. Okay, so that's a common uh, you know, trend for, and, and the numbers are out there. Six out of 10 people uh, who have a dementia will go missing at one point okay, in their life. So let's just say flip of a coin. Uh, we were having those challenges, and it was one of those where I sought for some support and uh, got some answers from everybody, you know, use this, use this technology. And again, this was back in around 2010, so 12 years ago. And at that point, I realized, I said, okay, that's not enough for me. You're not actually giving me enough, and I have some other solutions. How come you're not promoting this? And it was just out of natural just need that I said, okay, I need to bring in not just this GPS, but I'm going to bring in my neighbors okay, to help. It's not just high tech. I'm going to bring in low tech. Uh, I'm going to bring in community to help keep my dad safe. Because the, some of the solutions are, and I get it, uh, is, you know what? Your dad's you know, aggressive and he wants to go out for a walk. And uh, uh, here's a pill. You know, that would come from one side. Uh, or someone will say, you know, lock him up in the house. Okay? That's another solution. I said, mm, that's, I get it, but I want him to be out there. I still want him to go and live life, but we need to make it safer. I need to increase the chances of him coming home. So all that, coming up with solutions, talking to enough people, being open to learning and getting ideas, even if they're crazy. Once you get those, it's a question of, well, okay, I could do that. Now, how come others can't do that? And then you start speaking up, you start raising your voice. Some will grow to that next stage. Some won't have the capacity um, that they're just you know, dealing with the fires that they just have to deal with their own life. But over time, that patient, that caregiver voice, especially now in the past five, ten years, you would have seen it there. It's growing, mm -hmm. right? And you start with that voice. It's that voice. It's not just an opinion, but it's, a, it's a, the voice and then a suggestion, an idea, and then you start kind of pushing it. And right there, you're already advocating for something. Whether it's good or bad or right or wrong, you're starting to share your voice. And that's a big deal. Um, and then who receives that voice and how you can move that forward. That to me is an advocate or a group of advocates or that's where advocacy starts happening at a higher level. Mm -hmm. Questions for, for both of you. When you talk about the role of the caregiver, maybe 
you know, Elaine, thinking back to um, maybe what we've done before, or didn't do before, mm-hmm. you know, what we're doing now, and yeah. and you know, same with you, Ron. Like, what was, you know, what 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 did you need back then that you weren't getting that you know maybe is accessible now? And like this evolution, like, mm-hmm. um, you know, I guess what I'm trying to say is like, how far have we come, and how much further <laughs> do we need to go? Right, right. Well, we we do we have quite a few programs, and right now we also have a, um, a Thursday night um, open discussion group. It's called. It's really a support group. We just call it open discussion. This is not formal, you know, topics or speakers that come, but um, they can just people can just drop in, so they don't have to commit to. You know, we have also a six week and an eight week program, but they don't have to commit to the Thursday night. So we find that this has been really powerful for families to be able to share ideas, suggestions, um, and it's, they're hugely supportive of one another. Um, I see there's just a huge demand for that kind of, um, just a, a, a venue, I guess, for, for families to just sort of vent. Um, some of them have connections with Ontario Shores. They have family that are here or have been here. Um, others are just in the community and their loved one hasn't even got a diagnosis, uh, a mental health diagnosis, but they're struggling. Um, they're struggling to care for them. So, I mean, we, we have programs. Um, I, think, I, I think for us where the challenge is is to get those families connected um, as members of a treat, the treatment team um, to be kind of accepted as, as part, of, part and parcel of the treatment team. I think... 99% of our um, staff are, you know, want to involve families and do involve families. But we're finding that sometimes the communication isn't great. The families aren't always um, communicating in a way that's optimal because they're under stress. They're under huge stress. So we try to coach them and how they can ask questions in a way that isn't blaming or um, to try and get the best response from the treatment team. So we're, I think we're, we're doing more to try and create that better relationship between the families and the clinical side um, so that they can work nicely together. Um, you know, this is broader than just dementia care, but, but just in terms of what we do, I think we're, we're trying to increase that relationship building um, for families. So we're taking it, I think, to that level now. Um, and also encouraging patients because patients don't always want to work with their family. There's often good reasons for that, but sometimes we, we need to, we want staff and we want families to work on that rapport with the family so that maybe in future they will involve their family in their treatment. So um, it's sort of how do we kind of nudge people to have a better relationship, a better rapport with each other. Um, so we coach families on, on how to do that. Sometimes it's just sort of standing back and saying to the family, I'm here if you need me. But if you don't want me to be involved right now, that's okay. But I'm here if you need me. And just being patient. Um, so sometimes, you know, they just need that encouragement. It's okay to stand back, and, and but keep the line of communication open. So that's some of the things that we're doing. And that, that for me is huge. Again, back from like 10, 12 years ago. Uh, it was there, but not to the level it is now, like here in Ontario Shores. The ability to create a space for people to speak, okay, to share, and also listen. Because when it comes to caregiving specifically, uh, I always remind people, it's not you. You're not the first one going through this, okay? Even when I went through it, there are people that have gone through it before. 
can I learn from them? Can I learn from the peer? So that peer support group is huge. So to create that space uh, where you would have just you know, others that are at different stages, uh, you know how valuable that is. So for Ontario Shores to do that, that's huge. Um, the other piece uh, also that we need to work on that's been changing is the narrative a bit, specifically around mental health, of course. That's a big one, you know. Uh, but the narrative around the caregiver, okay, and their well-being and the value and their, you know, how much they give, okay, of their, their life, okay, and their time, uh, has to be addressed even more. And it's been changing, people understand that, uh, because technically, many times the caregiver's forgotten, okay? Uh, the people just assume, yes, okay, let's care for Ron's dad, you know, uh, or whoever the person, your, the loved one. But the caregiver is the one that I've always reminded, if the caregiver goes down, actually that damages the whole system as well. And uh, that's being respected a lot more. Um, you know, the easy answer, everyone says, what do we need to do? Many times it's, we need more funds and money, okay? That's always a yes, but we need, you know, more innovation, more programs, more services, more creative ideas. Um, I would say a lot more human resources that understand this much more, okay? It's, it's a hard business, you know, everyone, you know, for the most part that I know in the healthcare space, you know, uh, you know have a different level of heart and care. Um, but the thing is, uh, some of them do need more training and more skills, and we need to bring more to support them um, in that way. So that, that's kind of the space that I'm in where I say where we've gone. Um, and that shared voice, okay, so the shared decision-making, the ability that as long as you have a voice, you know, especially if you're in a conversation with the healthcare team, is that it's, the power's a little bit different now, okay, right? So yeah. I'm going to say that. So before it was more, yeah, you know, we're going to speak to you as the patient or the caregiver, versus now the voice is rising um, for the, let's say, patient and the caregiver to actually have more say in what their, their health is, their future is. Mm -hmm. So uh, there's a lot more respect for that, but we need mm -hmm. still more of that. Yeah, know, absolutely. And we have patient and family advisors now, so we have family, family, people with family experience who are involved in all of our quality councils and our, um, our, our overarching quality council, the Integrated Quality uh, Committee. Um, so they are take, bringing that perspective to the table now. Um, they have lived experience, and so that helps to, to bring that voice to the forefront. Um, the other thing you mentioned was innovation. Um, our families are asking for information on leading-edge therapies. So they want to know about brain stimulation. They want to know about psychedelics. They want to know all the things that, that are kind of on the leading edge now. Um, and so we're trying to provide education on some of those topics because they want to be able to ask, you know, their clinicians about this and they want to be well-versed in, in, in being able to ask, is this something that would help my loved one, you know, my, my daughter or my son, um, you know, uh, DNA testing, for example, um, for, to find the best medication fit, you know. These are the things that they want to know about. So we're trying to give them that, that sort of, that literacy, that um, health literacy, so they can be good advocates um, because they don't always, those things aren't always offered to them, you know. And, and just to add uh, there, Daryl, you know, one thing, Elena, you're saying that over time, you know, th that patient and that caregiver actually sometimes has more information than the healthcare side, totally. right? So yeah. technically, even just asking the question because of the access to, you know, technology and being online, 
state. They're coming technically without them really even realizing that they're advocating for, you know, this possible, you know, uh, idea or you know um, solution that you know the healthcare side has to kind of investigate now. So they're pushing. Hey, we're interested in this. Yeah. Let us know about this. Yeah. Right. So that's really it's, exciting. It's shifting, uh, but that yeah, that's what's happening. Can you talk about? Um... I mean, if you think back to your own experience, you're going through something like this, you know, I imagine it's very isolating and it sounds like, you know, in the system, while things are not perfect, we are progressing towards supporting caregivers and providing resources. In the community, I would think there's still a lot of work to do in terms of uh, awareness and understanding about dementia and particularly the toll that can have on a caregiver. You know, somebody who's been been through it. Like, what would you like? You know, the, the you know uh, the general public or whomever in the community to know about um, the experience of a caregiver, if they, you know, if and when, or I shouldn't say if, because we're all going to be impacted by this at some point. So, what would you like them to know about your experience or how to support the uh, somebody who's going through um, kind of this journey as a caregiver? Yeah. So, well, both of us can answer because we're both caregivers. That's where you take off your work hat and <laughs> you put right. your, your personal hat on. Yeah. Um, and that's going to happen. Everyone, you know, who has their work hat or whatever label they are uh, will have a connection to caregiving some way. So uh, for me, um, one, there, there's a whole list uh, that I could go through, but I'll give one of the key ones I like to share is to be careful um, that caregivers try to be many times at the beginning of their journey, Superman or Wonder Woman. Okay, so if you guys know the superheroes, if you guys follow DC, you know, there's different, there's Marvel <laughs> DC, but most people know Superman and Wonder Woman. And you just say, okay, I could do this, okay? You know, and you might not even say you're gonna be conscious of it, you just start doing it, okay? You start doing the role of caring. Oh, I'm gonna take my dad to the doctor's appointment. That's caregiving right there, not realizing. And then it starts adding up and it depends how slow or how fast, sometimes the slower it is, sometimes you don't even realize how it's grown over time. Uh, that took me five years to say, oh my gosh, I'm a caregiver. And it was one where it started it, you know, affecting my life that I realized, okay, um, I didn't share that with a lot of people at the beginning, but then over time I keep telling people, I said, if you can find those who you feel confident, you know, comfortable with and who you think you can trust, share. Okay? Just share your situation um, and be careful of being that Superman or Wonder Woman to try and do it all. Okay? Because what happens is, uh, caregiving doesn't have to be just dementia, it could be any type of caregiving, will take people down over time as it gets heavier. And a phrase I like to use is to spread the stress to increase caregiving success. And how you spread that is either you get a second or third person that can help out with maybe just picking up the groceries. Okay? Uh, you can get technology that can allow my uh, aunt all the way in California to have a meal with my dad okay, virtually while my mom's taking a nap, okay, so those are just some examples of spreading the stress, and I said, just be careful of being Superman or Wonder Woman being by yourself. Uh, share uh, if you're willing to be a little bit vulnerable, that actually will be a good investment to share with others, uh, because many people do want to support if they can. You just kind of have to give them, sometimes you got to educate the others, uh, say, how could you help, how could you help me? You know, maybe you can pick up the groceries for us, or you could actually spend half an hour with uh, dad uh, on the phone or in a video call. So that's that's one of my suggestions, I would say, to the general community. That's great, yeah. And I mean, it's gonna be, because we're all gonna be caregivers or uh, receive care at one point or another in our life, 
there's that reciprocal element to it. So helping somebody else, um, it means that somebody else is more likely to step up and help. I mean, you know, it is reciprocated, right? Yeah, um, I, yeah I, I, that's, that's well said. And um, I think also just, um, you know, setting boundaries um, for caregivers. Um, you know, I think that um, if caregivers are doing more than they can handle, then they become resentful of their loved one, and that really kills the whole, you know, the whole relationship that they have with them, especially if it's near the end of life, you know, um, in the case of dementia, you know, it, it you know, it, it's going to cut things short at some point. But um, as far as the community, um, you know, and there's, there's lots of resources in the community that we know of, Alzheimer's Society, uh, we have a couple of community mental health programs that do all sorts of work with families as well, that we, we work with them. Um, and sometimes families just aren't aware of what's out there, so we play a role navigating. We help to kind of, we have sort of a listing and we, we um, often will search, even if they don't live in our area, we'll do a search for them. So just getting people to the things that are out there, there's actually more than we think sometimes. We just don't know about them mm-hmm. or, you know, just a well, they're well hidden secret, you know. But um, that navigation piece, um, yeah, and then families then, through word of mouth, then share with others. So um, it, it's... Um, um, that's 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 a key role that we play as well. So, yeah. so, so that key piece of the connecting, just the simple ability to connect um, and just plant a seed to someone. So again, back in the community, this could be someone who works at the coffee shop, at the variety store, the grocery store, the church that you're at. Okay, if you, a lot of them already know, uh, have lived it as well, that this is what caregiving is like. And I, I think this family is dealing with some challenges. Okay, and it's just simply saying, um, you know, hey, Mike, um, just so you know, I, I know you're taking care of your dad and uh, it's been challenging. You know, d- do you get any other support from maybe an organization? Because there are a few out there. There's, you know, you could go to Ontario Shores, you could go to this society, you could go there. That alone, the ability to plant seeds from the community, okay, to many families that are isolated, okay, as much as you get to see the families coming in now, we know that there's double, triple, you know, quadruple, whatever, that are not even making it here or even aware. So that ability just to connect can change someone's life and journey and that family's journey just by planting that seed out in the community. So that I think is a key piece that you kind of brought up. It's very powerful, like I think about it, maybe not in terms of uh, dementia or caregiver, but like um, my own experience with uh, loss and grief, when you're able to connect with somebody who has a similar experience, it is a powerful experience, right? In terms of helping that other person, but also uh, healing yourself. And I would, you know, just, you know, by what we talked about today, it would sound very similar, right? You're here, you are, you know, you know, with your head down, doing all this work, trying to trying to get through this, and then you you connect with somebody that is going through something uh, uh, similar, and it has to, be, you know, I can't imagine what that feeling is like, but it has to be somewhat comforting uh, when you do run into somebody that has a similar experience. Yeah, so again, we, uh, 
emotions are a big deal uh, in this space. And I always kind of pay attention to some of those words and emotions like you threw out comforting. Yeah? So comforting is one. For those that are might st who might still be going through it, that confidence, you brought up the word confidence. Mm -hmm. okay? A lot of C words in caregiving, just so you know, okay? <laughs> you know, True. the challenges, even the soft yeah. Cs out there. Uh, but uh, it is one mm -hmm. where, again, that peer support, the, the listening to others or even passing it on to others. Mm -hmm. Okay, there is some teaching that I've always said, don't waste your caregiving you know, experiences, okay? Mm -hmm. Because it's a gift. Some people will not get that, but some will get it that over time it's a gift that, hey, I can pass this on to another family, plant that seed, plant that idea, yeah. Yeah. okay? And that's where th that informal kind of conversations happen where, you know, Ontario Shores is about, okay, we have a service and program. Can we get them here? And yeah. Uh, yeah. and you just create that space, so, yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah. And the, and the in a weird way, COVID has helped us to reach out more because we're, we do, we're doing all sorts of virtual things now that we didn't do before. So people don't have to drive here to do our open discussion group. They can do it from afar. So we've actually, you know, we've got probably, I don't know, maybe 30, 30 or 40 families that are listed on that. And we probably get maybe 15, 10 to 15 that show up each week, different, different array of people. But um, we see people who are at the real low points, um, talking more broadly than dementia, you know, they've got loved ones who have run away and they don't even know where they are. They've got loved ones who, you know, don't want to be on their medication and they're struggling with that. So all sorts of really, really challenging situations. And as they, things sometimes often do improve, they come back to the group and they talk about how things have improved and then they give those who are now at the bottom that sort of hope that, you know, I've been there. I know what this is like. Just hang on, you know, try this. Maybe it will help but don't give up. And, and it's amazing how many families have been uplifted and their, their situation improves and they come back and then they act as encouragers for the others. So it's, it's really, it's fabulous to see that, you know. Well, thank you both for being here. It's been a great discussion. Uh, the one thing maybe we'll close on, Elaine, is if you can just talk about the Family Resource Center and like different programs at Ontario Shores and how people can access that sure. kind of support. Sure. So we have a couple of um, um, uh, sort of certified programs, and we call them their, um, the RAP, uh, Wellness Recovery Action Planning for Family Caregivers. It's, it's an adaptation of the RAP that we do for clients at the hospital, and it's all about self-care. So um, that's an eight-week program. We'll probably do that in the fall. Um, you can go online um, to the uh, to the um, our website. Um, we do have a family resource center uh, webpage, and you can send us a note and ask to be on the wait list for that program. We also offer powerful tools for caregivers. It was a collaboration with the Central East Lynn. It's a six-week program and looks at things like communication, advocacy, self-care, um, dealing with emotions, all of those things. It's a general program for caregivers, not specific to mental health, but we offer it for mental health providers um, uh, at the hospital here, um, again, online. And um, we have the open discussion group on Thursday evenings. Again, you can drop in. Just have to contact me at um, uh, Family Resource Center um, at ontarioshores.ca, and we can, we can send you the link, uh, the, um, the Zoom link. Um, so it just requires you to register for that. And um, we do have lots of materials at the Resource Center, both written and electronic, fact sheets on different topics. Um, we can have, um, we can come in for a scheduled consultation by phone or in person. 
Um, so there's lots of opportunities to connect with us. So those are the main ones. Well, it's been great connecting with you both, and uh, thank you very much for 